And you may be seated. Well, let me just say, uh, it is so, so good uh, to be back with you. You know, this is the longest uh, time that I've been away from Providence. I think it was seven Sundays. So uh, we missed you guys. Did y'all miss us? Yes, kind of, maybe. Hey, come on. I mean, you don't have to clap, but if you, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But no, thank you so much. Uh, I've got to talk to several of you before the service and it was really, it's fun to see faces again. And we, we did miss you guys. Let me just say that I'm so thankful to the elders um, and for Providence to give us <coughs> give us this time away. It was it was just uh, you know people say Did you, are you rested? I'm like eh. physically it wasn't a whole lot of, of of rest. Remember I have a nine, six, and three year old, so it's not rest is not at all in our equation really these days. Uh, but it was good. It was fun. It was mental rest. Got to detach uh, really from from the ministry and get to kind of focus on our family. Got a couple of pictures I want to show you. Here's one picture. We got to go to the beach. Uh, there's our, our little little crew, there's my man with the wild hair. So uh, we had a, a blast just getting, again, uh, getting to just, you know, roll around the sand on the beach with my kids uh, and, and have that time away was really, really uh, so needed. So I, I really, really appreciate, you know, after 11 years, we were planning to do a big three-month one last summer that blew up. So we kind of packed in a lot. We got to do the beach. But also, uh, some of you remember, I have to show this because... Josh Patterson came and preached and he threw the gauntlet down. He said, all right, we're going to do a hike and your pastor, he's going to go. And so I was committed and there you go. There's the proof. I made it. Come on, someone give it up for me. Thank you. All right, thank you. That's what I was looking for. Hey, I'm on the far, far left. See, I just want, I want visual proof that I made it to the top of the summit. Uh, that's a big group of pastors. If you don't know, we went with a ministry called Way Forward Ministry. We summited, uh, it was a 13,350 don't come up to me, you 14ers that said, oh, I did a 14er this summer. Okay, fine. You're better than me, all right? But this was amazing for us. 13,350 um, and carrying 50 pounds. It was grueling physically, but man, it was spiritually and uh, emotionally stretching and enriching. Uh, these guys, um, there's more, there's a couple more. These are the ones that summited, but man, we... Uh, each one of these pastors that are all in this area, by the way, uh, came from uh, uh, a childhood where there was some rejection or abandonment. Some of y'all know my story with my family coming out of Islam. So it was, un it was really unbelievable that I looked around and was like, oh, this is the story of all of us. We were all forged in the fire of, of, of some, some childhood really trauma difficulty difficulty. And so every night at the fire, we'd first of all physically spent, but just unloading our hearts. So there was a lot of tears, grown men sobbing and crying. And so it was really, really powerful. And getting to the summit was amazing. So uh, there you go. Now there was a lot of false summits getting up there. All right. But it hadn't, it didn't even touch being at Disney World and all the false summits that were there in the lines at Disney World. You know what I'm talking about? When you go like back and forth and you go into a room, there's no ride. There's more back and forth going on. So, uh, but anyways, hey, it was awesome. Thank you. But let me tell you, we got to go see two or three other churches and um, not putting other churches down or comparing. Churches were great. We learned a lot, but they just weren't Providence. Like we walked away going, man, 
We miss our people. And so it's so, so good to be back. Let me tell you, the next three weeks, we are going to kind of recast vision. When I say recast, we're gonna just remind us of our mission statement. And we're gonna walk through gospel, community, and mission the next three weeks. So let me put our mission statement up on the, uh, on the, on the board. It says, Providence Church exists to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. And so when we say we exist to glorify God, that's foundational. That's not just kind of thrown in because it sounds nice, it's Christianese. No, we believe that fundamentally who we were made to be, we're, we're made to glorify God. All right, Isaiah 43 says, all whom I am formed for my glory. Okay, Colossians 1 says, all things were created by him and through him and for him. So when we as a church help connect people to their original Designed for the original intent for their creation, original purpose for their creation, which is to glorify God. We believe we're doing the most loving thing for them. When they start to leverage, when people start to leverage their life to see the glory of God go out, that's what we're made for. That's what we make your life have purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And so we glorify God by keeping his commands. His, his command to us as a church is to make disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. And so our desire of providence is not merely converts. I mean, that's part of it. We want converts, but we ultimately want them to become followers of Christ, lifelong disciples of Christ who make disciples. Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So if you're a disciple following Christ, you are reaching out and making other disciples. And so that's what we're after. That's what we want. And so we say we do it through the gospel in community and on mission. And so today we're gonna focus on the gospel. We're gonna be reminded of how important the gospel is, what the gospel is, why it's so important to us and how it is the foundation and the driving force of our life as Christians and, and our corporate life as a church. It shapes and animates and motivates and empowers everything we do as a church. And so today we're gonna to look at the foundation, which is the gospel. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter one. 1 Peter chapter one, and we're gonna jump in verse 18. And we're jumping in um, really kind of midstream, mid-thought uh, of what Peter uh, has been saying here in, in 1 Peter. Uh, and let me just say, um, in chapter one, he speaks of a hope that we have, a living hope uh, that we uh, have as Christians, that there is a, uh, a day coming where we will uh, be with him. It's our future salvation again, that we will be resurrected and be with him uh, for all eternity. That's our hope. That's what we're looking forward to. And so in verse 13, he says, therefore be sober-minded, take, be ready for action. And in the middle of this, in verse 18, I'm jumping in mid-thought again. Uh, he's gonna really lay out and you're gonna see the gospel kind of weaved all the way through it. And so let's start in verse 18 of 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass in its glory, like the flower of the grass. The, the grass withers and the flower falls, and the, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's stop there for now. All right, I want you to see, first of all, the gospel message. In other words, what is the content of the gospel? The word gospel means good news. So what is the good news? And you see it in verse 18 through 21. And we're gonna, it's just very clear. It just walks through the problem, the solution, and then our response. You see all three of those here in uh, verses 18 through 21. So let's start with the problem. It says here, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And so I often say, in order for us to understand the gospel, the gospel really actually begins with bad news. You gotta know the bad news first. And this is the bad news. This is the problem that all of us have inherited something from our forefathers. And the thing that we inherit, Peter calls feudal ways. That reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. There it is. That's the futile ways, again, that Peter is referring to. Goes on to say that claiming to be wise, uh, they became foolish and they exchanged worshiping the creator uh, for worshiping the created one. And that's really what we inherit from our forefathers, every one of us, from our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, what we inherit is this futile thinking, this futile way that we have turned away from God and basically said, we don't need you, God. We can worship self, all right? And because of it, as a result of it, the Bible says all of us are born in sin and death. It trans midst to every one of us so that every one of us are born physically alive but spiritually dead and friend unless we are made ever unless we are ever made spiritually alive in this life we will die and enter into an eternal death this is what all of us inherit that's the problem now the solution you find right 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 again back in verse 18 he says knowing that you were ransomed that word ransom means to be bought back out of slavery. We were in slavery to sin and death. We could not set ourselves free, but someone paid a very costly price to set us free. And that price was not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. A precious blood that was without blemish or spot. Friend, our sinfulness was to such a degree, and man, God's holiness is to such a degree that, friend, 
what we needed a perfect spotless sacrifice to pay for our sins. And that's who Jesus is. God sent his son into this world who lived a sinless life. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he was without sin. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And so therefore the scripture says, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, life has entered the world through one man's perfect righteousness, and that is Jesus. And he dies a death on the cross. And when he died the death on the cross, he died the death that you and I deserve. And with his blood, he paid the penalty for your sin, for my sin. Every one of our sins, past, present, and future. And friend, he rose from the grave to guarantee that the payment was accepted by God in full. And what's more, his, he takes on our unrighteousness and gives to us, imputes to us, credits to us his perfect righteousness. That's the good news. That's the solution. So what's the response? And you see at the very end of verse 21, he says, so that your faith and hope are in God. Meaning not in self, not in the world, not in you know, institutions around us. No, your hope, your faith is in God. And so you've heard me say this often, we've got to come to the end of ourselves. That means come to the point where we understand that man, our ways are futile. We understand that man, we are sinners, all right? That all of us are condemned, guilty as charged and all of us need grace. And then you turn by faith to receive what Christ has done. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. And so the proper response is repent and believe in Jesus. This is the gospel. And if you're here and you've never heard the gospel message, I want you to make sure you hear it clearly. The message is you can do nothing for yourself. I could not do nothing for myself because we were guilty and condemned. But God made one way for us to be removed from that guilt and for us to be made right with him. And that's through the finished work of Christ. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. So that's the gospel message. Now, I want us to see now the power that is in that message. And so I want you to see the gospel call. And you're gonna see here in verse 23 through 25 how powerful the message of the gospel is. Look what it says. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, it's glory, uh, uh, withers away and it falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So camp on this with me real quickly. And let me hit a few points here. First of all, the power of the message of the gospel, the power is seen that through the gospel, what happens is believers are born again. Believers have been born again, okay? In other words, just as you have a physical birthday, you ought to have a spiritual birthday. If you want, if you want to enter into eternity in the presence of God, you, you must have a time where you are spiritually born, okay? That's why Jesus in John 3 says, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And so friend, that must happen for every one of us or else again, we're gonna enter into eternal death. And then I want you to see this. That 
spiritual birth that must take place, it comes about by a seed. He says here, the seed of this new spiritual life is the word of God. So friend, just as there is a physical seed that leads to our, 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 our physical birth, our physical life, there is a spiritual seed that leads to your spiritual life, that begets spiritual life, and that seed is the word of God. The powerful word of God brings about new life. It's a miraculous thing. It's something that is unseen, just like physical life. You may not be able to, I mean, obviously you don't see exactly the conception on the inside, but in the same way, you don't see in the heart the conception of spiritual life. Now you see it as your life grows, but it's a miraculous thing that no one can do except God. When he takes the word of God, and that's the, 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 the point, the seed is the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, he is going to dig even deeper into what the seed is. The seed is, in other words, what is the word? The word is the gospel. Look at verse 25. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. That, that, that good news is the gospel. So now let's put it all together. We've got to be spiritually made alive. There must be a new birth that takes place. The only way that new birth takes place is the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit through the seed of the word. And that word is the gospel. Friend, I don't want anybody to leave here this morning without having been reminded of just the powerful nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he says it is living and it's abiding. Let's just camp on those two terms. Living, he uses this term because again, I, I, I say, it contains the power of God to bring about life. God's word is creative. In other words, God speaks and things come to be, right? That's true in creation, right? And I love how uh, Psalm 33, verse six says it. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. In verse nine of Psalm 33, it says, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Hebrews 11, verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God, what theologians call, uh, he created ex nihilo, which is Latin for out of nothing. There wasn't some ingredients that he kind of put together, some chemistry that kind of begat life. No, there was nothing. None of the parts were there. God spoke and that word was powerful to bring about life. Creation all around us. Friends, similarly, here's the point. The gospel is the power of God because it is God's creative word. It's the seed. When, when we speak it by the Holy Spirit, it, there's power there. It begets life and not life that perishes, but indestructible eternal life, spiritual life. And I want us to be reminded of that. No wonder Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the message of the gospel reveals the righteousness and the Holy Spirit reveals that to a sinful, broken, fallen man or woman and draws us to faith to receive that righteousness and come to life. It's powerful. Jesus said to Peter, when he declared Christ, Jesus is the Christ, he said, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but your father and our father in heaven. A miraculous thing took place and you were born and made alive. And then I want you to see, it's not only living, it's abiding, meaning it's enduring. The difference, uh, and that's why he goes on and quotes Isaiah, by the way. He says that the grass and the flower, it withers and fades away, but the word of God endures forever. And that's why he contrasts, don't miss this again, uh, it's interesting what he's doing, this, this uh, analogy of, again, physical procreation and spiritual procreation. And, he, and he's contrasting the physical seed. He says it's perishable, meaning, yeah, it, it begets life, but that life leads and ends in death. And he says, no, 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 but the spiritual seed begets indestructible eternal life that will live forever. You see it? Therefore, it endures, friend. Don't listen to the culture around us. It's gonna say, oh, the Bible is for an old age. It's not relevant. Listen to me. The word of God endures forever. And the gospel is powerful. And it's something that not only is, it brings about life, but then catch what he goes on to say. It sustains, nourishes, and grows life. And that's why in chapter two, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. So eyes up here, you see what he's doing, the analogies he's using? He's saying, first of all, the word of God is the seed that begets, again, spiritual life in you. And then he turns around and says, but it's also the milk that now you must be nourished on in order to grow. And what's amazing here, don't miss it. He says, like newborn infants long for this. Now, what, let me explain what that, what that doesn't mean. Some people go, oh, he, he must be talking to new Christians because he's calling them newborn infants. And I don't believe that's what's going on. It's not, it's, not that they're newborn, it's not that they're new Christians. And so he says, hey, since you're like newborn infants, since you're a brand new Christian, you ought to, you ought to dig into the word of God so that you can grow. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's speaking to Christians in the entire spectrum of growth from baby Christian to, you know, a couple of years to all the way to years and years and years of following Christ and leading others to Christ. Regardless of where you are in your maturity, he's speaking to all of us and saying, here's the analogy I want you to have. See yourself as newborn infants. Newborn infants, crave the milk. They long for the milk. They, 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 they are desperate for the milk. They can't live without the milk, right? That's what he's saying. 
He's saying you have to be like a newborn infant. You have to have that kind of, I can't make it in life without the milk of God's word. And he says, by it, you grow up into salvation. Now, they may be confusing because you're like, wait a minute, I thought we're saved. But in chapter one, I didn't hit this. He says again that we uh, have been saved for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. In other words, there's a day coming, even though we're saved now, we're gonna be in heaven if you believe in Jesus, you're justified, but now you're being sanctified and becoming more like Christ until the day you enter into a life free from sin. And he's saying that's your future hope. And the way you get there is by being a newborn infant all of your life, being desperate for that milk, just like a newborn infant is. So I ask, do you have that kind of longing for God's word, for the gospel? If not, pray for it. Ask God to give you that kind of longing and so, man, this should impress upon us this morning. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, man, the gospel is powerful. First of all, I need it. Just like an infant needs milk, I need it. Or else I'm not gonna grow. And then, man, it, it, it gives life. I've been given the Holy Spirit, and when I speak the gospel, man, it begets life. In some, and that ought to give you a feeling of, the man, I've been entrusted with something. This fall, we are going to unveil our vision for our church going forward that we're calling entrusted and sent. The idea is, man, God has placed us for such a time as this in the heart of Frisco, a city that is just exploding with population and it's coming from all over the world. And we've been given this life-changing message. And our vision is, man, we want to leverage all our resources to see this gospel continue to go out. Our desire is that we would see 10 more missionaries sent out. We're sending like two or three this year. We'd love to send out 10 more, all right, in the next few years. We'd love to see our community groups triple. We'd love to see 30 GO teams go out. You know, our GO teams are, there's about a couple of them that have gone out from our church to go around our community sharing the gospel. We'd love to see 30. We'd love to see our community groups triple in, in number. We'd love to see this gospel uh, be translated uh, and given to a people group that do not have one single verse of scripture in their native language. And so we're, we're, we're coming around this idea of being entrusted and sent. So I want you to see, man, we got a powerful gospel. Thirdly, and by the way, I had five points and I killed it in the first service because I forgot we got a shorter time. And so the first two services only got four. So you're getting four, okay? Is that cool? All right, good. You'll hit them closely. And here's the third one, the gospel response. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere Brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So let me say this really quickly. The gospel is powerful to give life. And when it gives life, here's the response. And I'll just summarize it in two words that's right here. Obedience and love. Now, what does obedience mean? Is this now going back into a works righteousness thought? No, no, no. The idea, it's, it's that 
it's what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 5 when he says that God has given them an apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, amongst the Gentiles. What the idea is, is faith demonstrates itself in obedience. In other words, what he's after is true faith that will submit yourself to the claims of the gospel. That man, I am no longer my own. I'm following Jesus. I give my life to submitting to his ways. It's discipleship, right? And so Jesus said, was asked, what must we do to do the works of God? He says, here's the work of God, to believe. So there's, there's believe, there's obedience, but friend, then love. And he says, listen, love should be the mark, that should be the distinguishing characteristic that there is new life. Love, he says, that is sincere. In other words, there's no hypocrisy. There's no selfish motives mixed in. He says love that's earnest. The word that's used there for earnestly love one another, that word earnest means to be stretched or to be strained. And catch this, friends. It's the same word that's used to describe Jesus' prayer in the garden. In Luke chapter 22, it says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Same word. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So friend, he's saying, you wanna see new life? Here's what it looks like. You've got obedience to the truth and you've got a love that is sincere and that is that earnest, willing to, 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 to strain itself, to sacrifice for what's best for the other. And this is what you and I should be marked. And here's the key. So right after he talks about this love, again, go to verse 23 and look at the first part of verse 23. Since you have been born again. So every eye up here, I wanna make sure you catch this. Here's what he's saying. Since you've been born again, in other words, if it's true that you've been born again, then as a child of God, you ought to resemble the Father. And what he's saying is, if you wanna resemble the Father, then you're gonna have sincere, earnest love. That's the way you resemble the Father as a child of God. This is why John in 1 John 4, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I don't know how clearer you can get than that. You wanna boil God down to one word? John would say, if I had to pick one word, the word would be love. And if you're a child of God, if you've been born again, that love ought to mark your life. Last week, one of the founding elders of our church, uh, Dan Browning, passed away. Dan hasn't been involved in our church in the last few uh, years, uh, but those of you who've been around as long as I have at Providence, or even longer than me, uh, remember Dan Browning. Uh, I would say that we would not be at this location worshiping if it was not for Dan Browning and his investment, his influence. Dan was, uh, and his wife were really instrumental in, in actually bringing Meredith and I to Providence. And so Dan Browning uh, was, uh, he passed away and his family reached out and asked me to do the funeral. And it was just a really special moment on Wednesday, uh, preaching his funeral. 
And there were so many old, like some of y'all remember Mike Hall, uh, one of the uh, uh, former elders here. He was there. My, uh, one of the, our first worship pastors was there. It was like old school Providence reunion. It was awesome. And, um, and got to just honor, honor Dan. But here's the thing I said at the funeral about Dan. Dan was marked by love, selfless love. He was a burden bearer. So when others would like talk about who would carry the burden, it was already too late because he'd already lifted it. He'd already shouldered it. When I got to Providence, there was a young man named William Morris who had just won the lottery in Liberia and come over to America. And he was, uh, you know, just staying in a flat somewhere, an apartment somewhere, and he Googled churches within walking distance and he found Providence. That's how he stumbled onto our church. And he walked over here one Sunday and Dan and Ines saw him. They took him under his wings. They literally brought him into their hearts. And they started treating him as a son. They provided for his needs. Eventually, when he had, hadn't seen his family for two years, they, they paid the way for him to go back to Liberia and be, be with his family for uh, hadn't seen in two years. In fact, they made the way possible for his whole family to come to the States. William says that there are many in his family who have food to eat and have an education because of Dan Browning's sacrificial love. And so he named his first son, William did, he named his first son Danny Browning Morris. And it was so sweet, he was at the funeral. He flew from Philadelphia to honor this man. But this is Dan. Compassion International came and wanted to do a new ministry with us. Um, of course, you know their work with orphans, but they wanted to do a new work with pregnant moms. And they assigned us one of the hardest locations in India, hard to get to. Dan said, we're in. Not only did he invest in it um, significantly, but man, he goes, I'm going. And he traveled. It was a very difficult travel to get there, less than ideal accommodations. But he wanted to see these ladies face to face and say, you matter. You're special. God loves you. And he died for you. And this is the kind of man he was. That's what I want for our church. You know, I came back and I shared this at the elder. When I came back on last Saturday, we went straight to an elder retreat. And I share this with the elders, this, this verse in Philippians 1, that's, that Paul says, let, no, let, let your love abound with knowledge and discernment. Okay? In other words, you've heard me say from this pulpit before, we've got to be a people that hold love and truth together. So in other words, if you take, friend, if you take truth out of love, in other words, you say, man, I just love people. I don't want, uh, you know, this truth might be offensive to them. And so I'm not going to share it with them. Well, then you don't really love them because you're not telling them the truth. And then if you take love out of truth and you say, man, I'm going to take this truth and I'm going to beat it over their head, then you've perverted truth. It's not real truth because it's lost love. you got to hold it together. And how do you balance truth and love together? And I think that's why Paul says, let Love abound with truth and all discernment. Discernment is the key. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment, how we balance love and truth well so that we don't water down the truth, but then we don't cast out love. Discernment allows us to know, man, this is not a hill worth dying on. And even though there's other Christians that are getting so ugly about this and yelling at each other, I'm just not going to go there. I may have some beliefs, some strong beliefs there, but it's not worth, discernment is key. And so we're to be a people, listen to me, more than anything else to say, my number one desire is that the gospel gets communicated because it gives life to people. It gives hope to people. 
And so I want truth and love. And so, Lord, give me the discernment on how to do that. And one final thing will be done, the gospel goal. And this is what I'm passionate about. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. After he talked about longing for the pure milk of the word, in 2.3 he says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Man, that is a good verse. <laughs> if indeed, friend, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Eyes up here, listen to me. The goal of the gospel, the good news of Christ, is not just information in your head so that you can live a better life. It's not just so you can get a ticket to heaven. The goal of the gospel ultimately is to pave a way for you to taste and experience that Jesus is good. Jesus satisfies my desires. He's what I need, not what the world is telling me. He's what fulfills me. The relationship with Christ is the goal of the gospel. Jesus says to the Jews, he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but the scriptures testify of me, yet you refuse to come to me to find life in me. It's not just head knowledge that people need and want. What they need, even though they may not know how to articulate it, what they want, even though they may not know it, is they want to experience Jesus. They want to taste that the Lord is good. Last week we were at Disney World. Like I told you, we didn't rest a whole lot, okay? And there's a ride at Disney World called the Rise of the Resistance. Does anyone know about this ride at all? Okay, I'm not gonna d destroy it for you if you're like, I, I was gonna go and ride this. You don't, you know, I love Star Wars. It's a Star Wars ride. Now, here's the deal. Disney is so magnificent at making you uh, feel like you're in the experience. It's not just a ride. You're like in the story. So like the people that are working the line, like they don't have Disney stuff. They got like first order, right? They're like in the, in the story. And you're like, oh, am I, right? And so the, I'm, I'm a grown adult, right? The whole time I know this is just make-believe, right? But they do so well to make you feel like you're in the story. One time they, they like zip us around in, in this, you know, in the ride. And then all of a sudden you, you come into this little uh, area where Kylo Ren, the bad guy, is up here talking to a commander. And it zips you right behind them. And for a second, this little robotic, Kylo Ren like turns around and looks at you. And here I am like, I'm in my late 40s. I'm a grown man. I know this isn't real. But when that little robotic Kylo Ren turned around, for just a split second, I went, you know, I'm like, what, what am I doing, right? I'm like, this, why am I? But they're just, they're, they're so magnificent at making you feel like you're, you're literally experiencing it, right? Now that is fake. It's fake. But what we have, what we're talking about here is real. It's a risen, alive Savior that wants to dine. He says, I, behold, I knock at your door. Whoever opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him. It's, it's the two on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples. Remember, they're downcast because Jesus has been crucified and Jesus comes alongside them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. And the Bible says he opens the scriptures to them. So there's truth, there's knowledge. But listen, 
It's also experience. He says he walks with them. He actually goes and dines with them. They break bread. Their eyes are open to recognize that it's Jesus. Jesus disappears from their, their, their sight. They look at one another and they say, were not our hearts burning within us when he walked with us, when he talked with us? We didn't just hear the truth. We experienced him and something was burning in our hearts. And you know what the result of it was? They ran to Jerusalem to tell the disciples and the mission was birthed. That's what I want for our church. That's what people want. To come in here, people from the world that don't know Christ, that they would hear the powerful life-giving message of the gospel and that their hearts would be stirred to experience Christ and to taste that he is good. That will cause them to say, man, more of that. I wanna go and tell people about that. Before I pray, I was remembering being in a bunk bed after camp, in the middle of Camp Tallowood, brand new Christian, and I just could not go to sleep. I was 17 years old because I was so blown away that Jesus loves me. I just, I couldn't believe that he loves me. And I just was like, I love him. And I just was like, God, I want more of that. I want more of that, don't you? So I want to taste that the Lord is good. Would you bow your head with me and let's pray.